So have you ever had that um, experience where you're shut out, where you realize right at the last minute that you really, really need something the next day, and you go out hoping that you'll get to the store before they lock the doors? And invariably, you get that worker that is really anxious to leave, and so they lock the door at like 8.59, and you know, you're knocking on the door and just... Maybe if they're nice, they come to the door, you give them the sob story, or we're closed, we're closed. You know how frustrating that is. You're helpless. You've got no recourse unless they are merciful and gracious. Um, frustration. Ah! Especially if there's just no other way to get done what you need to get done before whatever you needed it for the next day. So that's one scenario. Impact is relatively small in the eternal scope of things. Um, sometimes situations like this, being on the wrong side of the door, um, can be much more grave in their consequences. You know, what if the building is on fire? And the door closes and you are unable to get out. I mean, imagine a scenario. This is kind of heading into our text for this morning. Because this text this morning about a door being shut is way infinitely more significant than not being able to get in um, to the drugstore before it closes. So imagine that there is a fire alarm going off. Those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago at the end of the service can definitely remember this. Um, So imagine a fire alarm is going off. And what happens? Sometimes people are just kind of, I know I was, I didn't really take it seriously. There's lots of false alarms. Okay. I didn't take it seriously. Oftentimes you've done the same thing. And here, the door is open. There's plenty of time for escape. The escape route is clearly marked. But you know what? You're engrossed in your work. I've got plenty of time. It's probably not that big of a deal. Well, think about those kinds of dynamics and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 and you'll see um, that this speaks to the ultimate door and not wanting to be on the wrong side when it's closed. So if you're using a pew Bible, um, you can turn to page 1040 and find Luke chapter 13 there. We're going to read verses 22 to 30. I don't think we're going to have time for verses 31 to 35, so we're just going to read verses 22 to 30 this morning. And Jesus was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. 
but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. Just at that time, well, we'll stop there for for this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we thank you that you love us enough to say both the encouraging and sweet promises and truths that we love. And you also love us enough to say the hard things to us and to warn us. We thank you that the Lord Jesus himself is the visible image of the invisible God. To see him is to see you, Father. You are, he's the radiance of your glory, the exact representation of your being. So we thank you that he embodies and reflects the perfect combination of toughness and tenderness of mercy and justice, of truth and grace, and love in all of its forms. And I pray that you would help us to listen to him this morning. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Help us to be open and receptive to that, Lord. I pray that where there is indifference or apathy or coldness, where there's presumption, where there is dullness and deadness in our hearts, I pray that you would melt and torch that coldness. Cut away the deadness. Unstop our ears. Open our eyes. Soften our hearts. And where we need to be warned, warn us and help us to receive that warning humbly, knowing that it comes as a loving warning and rebuke from the hand of a good and loving Father. So I pray that you would help us to focus this morning on you, on what you have to say. We're not here by accident this morning. You are in control of your universe. And you have purpose, loving, wise purpose for our presence here this morning under your words, studying your words, what you have to say to us. And we thank you for this book. We thank you that you're not silent. We thank you that you are a revealing God that loves to condescend and reveal himself to us ultimately so that you can give us Yourself, the greatest gift in the universe. So help us not to think lightly of that. Help us to treasure the gift that is you, the greatest gift in the universe. Help us to be attentive to you, to what you have to say. And I pray that you would not only give us that attentive ear to what you have to say, but also help us to see Jesus in this Beautiful, glorious, wise, loving balance and and combination of toughness and tenderness. And I pray that that would start to mold and shape us, that we would reflect that same kind of 
Christ-like love with its contours and its edges and its wisdom and its sweet promises and its stern, sober warnings. So help us, Lord, we pray. Be our teacher. We need your spirit to come and open the eyes of our hearts so that we receive your word humbly, that it comes in and changes us from the inside out and doesn't just glance off. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for all of chapter 12 and most of chapter 13 up to this point, the theme of the end of life and the end times when Jesus comes back and readiness for that event is central. Okay, so there's been this repeated wake-up call to be ready for both of those two inevitable moments. Your end and the end. Okay, so remember the rich fool back in chapter 12 who thought that he could retire and live comfortably for himself. That was the, the main problem as he ignored God and just thought that he could go on living for himself. He didn't realize that obviously God sustained his life. So he said, you fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. The call to be dressed in readiness and to keep your lamps lit using those metaphors. Um, be like servants waiting for their master's return is also in chapter 12 there. Um, speaking of Jesus' return. So 1240 says, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He t- Jesus says, you know what? You all can read the weather. You can analyze it. You know when it's going to rain. You know when it's going to be hot. Why can't you read the signs of the times? Why aren't you listening to what I'm saying? And then beginning in chapter 13, he says, unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. Again, just saying your end is coming. You don't know when it's coming. The end is coming. You don't know when it's coming. You need to be ready. You need to to repent. Follow me. Remember the fig tree analogy? where there's this vine dresser and there's this fig tree and the owner of the vineyard comes repeatedly. There's no fruit on the vine. Cut it down. And the vine dresser intervenes and says, no, let me put some fertilizer on and then you know, come back next year and see if there's fruit. So God is merciful. He's giving time. Even though most of the Jews, as Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah, they're rejecting Him. They're hard toward Him. They're judging Him rather than following Him and trusting Him. So there's a warning, and there's time, there's mercy. And this text strikes those same themes again in chapter 13, verses 22 to 35. Same vein. So Jesus talked just immediately prior last week, the nature of the kingdom. He likens it to a mustard bush, um, to a bit of leaven, which both of those things are relatively small. They're seemingly insignificant things. And so it makes sense that someone who is listening to Jesus would ask, verse 23, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? See it there in verse 23? So this issue of how many gets raised. I've asked this question. You probably have too. Sometimes it can be kind of depressing to think, you know, there's 1%. We're 0.1% believers in certain countries around the world. Like, what? Is it just going to be a few? Even though there's... Christianity is 
I think the largest religion in the world, but still, if you take the total number of people in on the planet at this time and take the number of, of believers, it just seems like, boy, there's just a few. So, under, understandable question. Now, we don't know the motive of this person asking it. Was it a little bit elitist? You know, are there just going to be a few? Of course, I'm one of them. Was it humble curiosity? Was it loving concern? Are there just going to be a few? Like, I'm concerned about all these people. We're not told what the motive was. And since the text doesn't tell us, we know that's not where the burden of the passage lay. The focus is on how Jesus responds to the question. In fact, he doesn't even answer the question. He answers a different question. The one that this person and those listening ought to be asking. So Jesus says to them, them, see that? He's not just speaking to this one person anymore. Verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Pretty interesting reply if you look at the question. So do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's asked if there are only a few who will be saved. He answers that many who think they should be saved or will be saved will not be saved. That's what these people needed to hear. They don't need, at least not right now in this context, to know the answer to their question. There's actually a greater question that they need to be asking and addressing. They need to know right now that many will say at the end, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we go to Christian school and, and didn't we go to church and weren't we nice to people and didn't we serve in such and such a ministry and didn't we go on that missions trip that one time and didn't we support that child in India and didn't we get baptized and on and on. There's going to be a lot of people that say that. And to that many, those people like the ones that Jesus is addressing here, He's going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus' audience needed to know, that's what they needed to know now, that many are deceived now and will be rudely awakened to that fact at the end. So that's a very sobering message, and it's a message that we need to hear as well. And it's especially a message that we in here need to hear. Because you know what? These are professing believers that he's talking to. These are the religious folk. These are the church-going people that he's addressing, saying this to. Okay, this is not, this many that he's talking about is not comprised of the atheists and the agnostics and those of other religions, okay? So in light of the fact that many will be in this category, what do we need to hear inside the church here, those of us that are here this Sunday? What's the message for us? It's the same message that Jesus gave to them. Strive now to enter. Look at verse 24. And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. This is so sobering. If we are going to take this book seriously, if we really believe that this is God's inspired word and this is Jesus himself speaking, we can't just blow this off. This is a really sobering word. Look at the language. Jesus says, many will seek to enter. This isn't just, you know, there's lots of people that won't enter. This is, many who seek to enter will not be able. That's even more sobering. So, 
before we get at what this is saying, this is a sobering passage. We've had some sobering messages here in Luke 12 and 13. So I want to just insert a little brief parenthesis here um, so that you understand why some of you probably know this. It's probably preaching to the choir. But for others of you, maybe you've been at different churches um, over the years, uh, why do we do what we call expositional preaching, where we take books, you know, one at a time and work systematically through them? Just unpack, well, it's the next passage. We're going to hit Luke 13, starting in verse 31 on August 5th. Okay? Why do we do that? Well, part of the, the wisdom of approaching preaching this way is that we're forced to face all of what the Bible says to us. We can't skirt around the uncomfortable or the challenging or the confusing parts. We have to just go right through them. It also means that we will learn the right kind of balance of encouragement and rebuke or the positive and the negative, if you want to say it that way. Some people, I mean, you've probably done this with your highlighter. If you've you know, been a Christian for a while, if you've read the Bible for a while, there's certain things you really like and you underline them and other stuff you don't understand, so you just kind of ignore it. Well, do you think that maybe there's something there for you? If you, It might take a little bit of digging, but there might be diamonds. Okay, so as we walk through, some of us are wired to be way too soft and sentimental, and we want God to be all soft and cuddly. Okay, and He is wonderfully merciful and gracious and patient and all of that. That's true. Some people, on the other hand, are too much like angry prophets. And they love the hard edges and the black and white of the Bible. But they don't do so well processing with the messiness of life and with God-like mercy and understanding and forbearance and patience. That's also true. So the people that are wired, you know, soft and cuddly, they need to listen and let the edges bump into them, cut into them sometimes, and shape them. And the people who are, you know, the prophet truth types, they need to also listen and be shaped by the grace and the mercy of God that is amazing. They need to hear Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. Hear Jesus say with brokenheartedness, we'll actually now look at it in August, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wish I could gather you. You hear the pathos in that? The brokenheartedness on Jesus' part and His love for these people and they're just rejecting Him? Okay, some people are too much like like theological chicken littles. <laughs> you know, everything is negative. They focus so much on all that's not happening or what might happen and all of that. And you know what? Those people need to bask in the sunshine of God's promises and His sovereignty and smile at how Jesus turns water into wine. He went to a, a wedding and He turned water into wine. Some people, on the other hand, they're two rose-colored glasses happy. And they need to get their head out of the sand and wake up to all the pain that's around them. And as we walk through the Bible, letting it set the agenda for us, it's going to help us find that Christ-like balance. Okay, Luke does all of this and, and so much more all the time. We've, we've had it in the same passages. In fact, it's both of those things are in this passage. Both the hard edges and the wonderful sweet promises as well. The grace and the truth. So, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's why we're walking through the Gospel of Luke like this. Um, as we see Him, 
He is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of God's glory. Um, and as we see him, we'll be shaped to, to his character. Um, and where we might naturally just incline in this direction, we need to be rounded out by these other truths and vice versa. So, we can't read the Bible or live life, you know, kind of with that highlighter canon within the canon. We need to just embrace and study and submit to all of God's wisdom for us. Um, I remember one time when, when 2 Timothy 3 and 4 really hit me in the sense that oftentimes what we want, we want kind of the, the shot in the arm kind of encouragement pump up sort of thing, like we come away feeling good from church. I mean, and there's lots of that kind of sweet encouragement and those promises in the Bible. But listen to the way that the Bible is talked about in 2 Timothy 3.16. And then when Paul says to Timothy that he should preach the word, the effect, just listen to the focus of what it's supposed to do. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's what the Bible does. And then he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus to preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I know I get beat up in the week as I'm trying to submit to this text and be shaped by it. And so not every week is going to be like, woohoo! Sometimes we need to get beat up and it's a loving, it's kind of a severe mercy. Okay? That God does that. This is one of those texts. Let's not resist that or think that that's bad news. This is, this is good news. God loves us enough to say the hard things to us. Because you know what? We all don't always want what we ought to want. If, you've lived, if you're kind of honest with yourself, you know that's the case. We don't always know what's best for us, what we need most. And so, again, it's so healthy to just go through it all. <laughs> Have to deal with it all and let it all shape us. So, end of parenthesis. But this section right here, verse 24, is the main application of this passage for us. We really need to make sure we understand it. So, first thing, just take note, take note of, the, of the tenses of the verbs here because it's really important for understanding what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. Jesus said to them, strive, present tense, do this now, to enter through the narrow door. Why? Because many, I tell you, will. Future tense. In other words, when it's too late. Many will seek to enter when it's too late. And consequently, they will not be able to enter. This is called a warning against end of life or end times foxhole faith. If that's the way that you live now, not seeking to enter, not striving to enter through the narrow door now, then there will come a time when it will be too late and your seeking will be in vain. Okay? And just to be clear, these are not poor, innocent seekers who sincerely want to trust God and Jesus just slams the door in their face. He's not like that. These are people who are evildoers. Remember, depart from me evildoers. So they've toyed with him. They've followed other things. They've called themselves believers, but really they've been faithful disciples of other masters, even though they've been going through the motions. 
Okay, they've heeded the call to strive not after the kingdom, but to make their own kingdom come, even if it's in religious clothing. Okay, so if we don't strive to enter now because of indifference, apathy, because we just think we're fine, when the end comes, it will be too late to enter. Okay, so again, Jesus is not speaking of sincere seekers who just can't get in even though they want to. It's people who refuse to listen now when there's time, refuse to respond as long as it's still called today, and who only get interested in entering after it's too late. Only get earnest about entering after it's too late. So if we don't listen now, if we don't strive, seek now, no amount of seeking in the form of special pleading will make up for our indifference and refusal to seek when there was still time. Okay, now, this passage, this strive to enter through the narrow door, might strike our ears and cause some dissonance. Okay, I mean, how can Jesus say this? It sounds like we need to work our way into heaven. I thought salvation was by grace through faith. It was a gift of God. I thought it didn't ultimately boil down to the man who runs, but on God who had mercy, who has mercy. I mean, it sounds like we need to strive to enter and be saved. I thought salvation was by grace through faith. Okay, so let's just be clear here. No, we do not work our way into heaven. Okay, we cannot earn our way. Yes, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ from start to finish. Okay, it's a gift. But do we need to strive to enter and be saved? Yes. Does that sound like a contradiction? Maybe. So let me explain this in three different ways to give you some word pictures um, to help you understand how to put these things together. First, the call of the gospel is, in some places, um, likened to coming and drinking Okay, of God's grace. So, come. All you who thirst, come to the waters. You're thirsty. Stop, you know, trying to slake your thirst in the broken cisterns of the world. Here is the fountain of living waters. Jesus said, whoever comes to me will never ever hunger. Whoever believes in me will never ever thirst. Come to me. Okay, so come to Jesus. If you hear that call and not assent and go on drinking at the broken cistern of the world in indifference and apathy, which is actually not complete indifference and apathy because you're not apathetic and indifferent toward your broken cistern. You're going to be wholehearted towards something. But if you don't get up and strive to enter, then what's the problem? You don't believe it. You don't want to drink at the fountain. You really don't want to enter. Okay, so bottom line, again, this is a faith issue. Okay, you don't value, you don't treasure the living water of the kingdom because you're too satisfied in the broken cistern. Okay, so if that's the case in any of our lives, then no amount of special pleading at the end will make up for our unbelief. Okay, and you can see how that special pleading at the end, that kind of foxhole faith thing, is not real faith anyway. There's no real repentance and faith in it, just a fear of consequences. Okay? Second kind of way at getting at how this is not contradictory, but these are two sides of the same coin. 
This is not anti-gospel. This is not contrary to the grace of God, what Jesus is saying here. So imagine that you are fishing on the bank of, I was going to say the Christiana River, but that wouldn't work because you could definitely not see the bottom, okay? That water is way too dirty. So somewhere else where there's a river where the water is fairly clear and you can actually see to the bottom. So you're fishing and a bar of gold, you just see it kind of slowly bouncing, you know, along the bottom of the river, you know, seven feet in front of you. This bar of gold, I mean, incredibly valuable thing. What in the world is that doing there? Would you be apathetic toward that bar of gold? What would you do? Would you strive to obtain that bar of gold? Listen to Proverbs. Just listen, listen to the way that the Bible talks about the gift, in, in this case, the gift of wisdom. It's not something you can earn, but it's something that you ought to value. You ought to be attentive to God and listen to Him and pursue His wisdom. So Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you'll receive my words, you re- receive things that are given to you. Okay, if you'll receive my words, treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. If you'll incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as a hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Strive to enter because there is such a treasure offered to you. Okay, so is that the same thing as trying to earn God's favor? Is that the same thing as working your way into heaven? No. There is a world of difference between seeking to earn by our own efforts and seeking to obtain the treasure God offers freely. And we need to believe in its infinite value. Okay, a third way to just put these things together. And again, this is... Why do we need to spend some time thinking about this? It's because we need to make sure that we don't strive in the flesh and start to undermine the gospel. But we also don't want to have a gospel that has no effort or all effort sounds like a bad word and sounds like it undermines the gospel. We need this for our own hearts as we follow Jesus and we need it as we try to communicate this stuff clearly to our children, to VBS kids and Awana kids and and anybody that you're ministering to in this church or outside. So the third way to explain this, just think of Luke 9. Remember, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Because whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, it's going to be painful. But he's the one who will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself, his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. That's a narrow door. There's striving there. But it's a faith issue. It's a call to trust me. Jesus is saying, trust me. You need to die to trying to be your own master. Die to being mastered by anyone or anything else. I am the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So, die to everything that's killing you. Just leave it behind. It's the old way of life. Just deny all that. Deny yourself all of that. 
take up your cross. You need to die on a cross. What do you do on a cross? You die spiritually. Say, I'm going to repent. I I don't want to try to be the Lord of my life. I don't want to try to. I've just made a huge mess of things. So I want to follow Jesus. That's faith. But again, it's striving because there's a lot of pain involved in this. But don't ever think that it's this horrible sacrifice or something where we're trying to earn anything. No, this is a wonderful gift. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. I don't want you to lose it. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Follow me. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. So we see the narrowness of the door. Hopefully you see how this is not a contradictory message. The gospel is by grace, through faith, in Christ, from the beginning to the end. And we must strive now to enter through the narrow door. We talked about some of these themes you know, a month and a half ago or so with the resting and running series in Luke, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 4. <laughs> Strive to enter the rest. That seems like an oxymoron, but no, it's biblical wisdom. So, hopefully you see the nature of the striving that Jesus is getting at here. We must humbly bow to get through this narrow door. We must throw off the baggage of our sin and the dead weight of our pride to follow Jesus. Okay, so what do we all need to hear today? Strive to enter through the narrow door for many. If you want to talk about how many, this is the many you need to be thinking about this morning. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not and will not be able. Okay, we we've got to enter. We can only enter on God's terms, not stroll in on our terms. Because one day the door will be shut. Look at verses 25 to 28. Once the head of the house gets up, and shuts the door, and it's very quickly obvious that Jesus is talking about himself. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers, which is a quote from Psalm 6, verse 8. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you see yourselves being thrown out. Okay. This is so sobering. And I look you all in the eye as people that I love. People I am accountable for as your shepherd, one of your shepherds. This is blood-earnest serious. Please listen here. This is, this is not the time to check out. We've got to listen to what Jesus is saying, all of us. We need to sit at his feet attentively. We need to hear. Just enter into this passage right now. Let Jesus speak to you right now. Hear that door shut. What would it feel like to be on the outside of that door forever? Wait, wait, no, no, open up. Lord, you know me. I went to church. I I was baptized. Lord's Supper, tithe, all that. I, I sat through tons of sermons. I mean, imagine Jesus. He came humbly. 
He condescended. He was a servant. He was this poor peasant. But he's going to come back in power. Riding on a white horse. He is going to set the world to rights. Imagine him, the King of kings and Lord of lords, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Imagine him saying to you, I don't know where you're from. You're not part of my family. Inclusion in this family is not inherited by natural birth or ethnicity. Remember earlier in Luke, here are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, those who do the will of my Father in heaven. You're not a citizen of my kingdom, of heaven. You've loved this world. I don't know where you're from. Can you imagine the shuddering that would shake your soul at that moment? Can you imagine the wailing? You would not be able to believe it. And there's absolutely no recourse. There is no court of appeals. It's over. It's too late. And then the rage that would creep in and bubble over. It would erupt probably. No, it's not fair. Especially as you saw others who you thought that you were better than entering. And you were grinding your teeth because it's over and it's too late. And just imagine those first moments of realizing that you have chosen forever to be outside that door. Because of apathy, because of indifference, because you saw that gold bar bouncing and you were too busy on the bank. Now, from the place of Listening honestly, humbly, soberly to Jesus' warning to us that we need. Listen to what else Jesus says to us this morning. Greg read some of it already. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is Jesus Himself saying, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise, look at this, he's so gracious. He's so serious here. And this is a really hard rebuke pill, warning pill to swallow. But he's so gracious because he's still giving the opportunity to repent. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. Not physically, materially rich, spiritually rich. White garments so that you may clothe your nakedness. Eye salve, again, metaphorical, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Listen, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Strive to go open that door. Don't be indifferent when Jesus calls. I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes as he strives now to enter through the narrow door. I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. And I also overcame as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear. Don't be deaf to this message. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, these people... They basically plead, as one commentator said, physical proximity. 
They don't have any other appeal, but physical proximity means nothing in the end. What are you trusting in? Okay, there was no true heart response, no sincere, wholehearted following of Christ by faith. That's what this drive, this real wholehearted faith, that's what it's referring to. They were superficially connected and they thought they were just fine. Does that describe any of you? There will be a day for all of us when our indifference and our apathy and our Christianity is boring if it characterizes any of us. Our, I'm too busy to follow Jesus. It's going to vanish like a dream. And it will be a nightmare. Now, instead, is the time for all of that indifference and apathy to vanish. As we wake up, as we hear what Jesus has to say to us graciously this morning, and strive to enter the narrow gate by His grace. So do you have an ear to hear Jesus knocking and warning you now? Listen, there's such good news right now for us because we still live in the now, not the then. There's another door. There's another place of knocking in Luke a couple chapters back where Jesus said, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. No matter what you've done. Suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an, if he asks for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Open the door to those who knock. So strive now to enter through the narrow gate. Don't get lulled to sleep. Don't make a truce with apathy and indifference now. Jesus died to torch our coldness. He died to provide a way for us. He died to open the door to us. He died to purchase the promise of of Luke 11. That promise of to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So now is not the time, never is the time to seek first our own kingdom, but seek first God's kingdom. So, the one who stands at the door and knocks will one day shut the door. The one who opens to those who knock will one day arise and shut the door. But the one who shuts the door and no one can open is the one who says this morning, come on, listen, and strive to enter. Revelation 3.7, also part of the text that Greg read. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, again, Jesus, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. You've got little power. You can't open or close anything. I open the door for you. You've been trusting in me. Your faith, even if it's weak, The object of that faith is strong. So if I open the door, nobody can shut it. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. So there is encouragement here. There's grace and mercy in this hard warning. It's very sobering, yes, but it is wonderfully loving for God to 
Warn us now before it's too late. So are you the real thing? Are you indifferent? Are you apathetic? Are you trusting in something other than Jesus' blood and righteousness for your acceptance before God? Okay, I mean, have you noticed this? Have you been around Christianity, around the church long enough to know that you can look really good in the flesh, like in your own strength? Have you ever seen people that, man, they look like they were model Christians and then later on they just completely scrapped it all? They weren't the real thing. Demas fooled the Apostle Paul. Early on, he's commending him in Colossians, the last letter, 2 Timothy. He loved this world. He, he's deserted me. The rich young ruler, man, he looks impressive. Jesus knew his heart. You can also look really bad and be the real thing. How about some of these guys that are going to be entering the kingdom? Abraham? Skunk pawning off his wife a couple times. Jesus died to open the door for sin, sinful, messed up people like us who are honest with our sin and who repent of it and stop dancing and justifying and shifting the blame and all of that. Jacob, come on. King David, Peter. John Mark, deserting, okay? So, these warnings are gracious, loving calls to take stock and say, whoa, am I the real thing? I cannot be okay with apathy. Am I trusting and treasuring something other than Jesus and His kingdom? Okay, we're almost done here. Who will be coming in from the corners? Look at verses 29 and 30. Um, so here are these people who were pretty presumptuous, but pretty confident that they were, you know, the real thing. They needed to be warned. And not only will there be many who don't enter, they were deceived. On the other hand, there's going to be so many that come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, all four poles, right? All four points on the compass. They're going to recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Ironic reversals in the book of Luke. We've seen it many times where the religious leaders are resisting, challenging Jesus. They're blind and deaf and dull. And the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the unsavory folk are just drawn to Jesus like a magnet. So we need to realize, okay, what am I trusting in here? I need to be on the right side, which is really the bottom side, when the great reversal takes place. Some who are last will be first, and first who will be last. So, there's going to be people that come from the four corners, like it says elsewhere, people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Okay, some of those people are going to be homeless people that you might have been tempted to look down on with contempt. Some on welfare. Some former members of Al-Qaeda. Some former perverts and murderers and prostitutes and pimps are going to be in the kingdom. Some very unsophisticated folk who haven't kept up with the trends in the times. 
Some people in this life who have really struggled and seem to constantly be taking one step forward and two steps back. But you know what? They keep being honest with their sin and with God and with others, and they keep striving by grace through faith in Jesus to enter through the narrow door, and they're going to be there. They just keep repenting and being real and believing the gospel. And some of us might be tempted to just slowly, subtly think we're just fine or we're better than other people and we can get smug and self-righteous and that is so dangerous. So there's going to be some surprises at the end. Fair amount of arrogant presumption in the church, that's obvious, many. And so Jesus lovingly, clearly gives us fair warning so that we will not be surprised, so that we will not be surprised. How gracious and loving is that of Him to do this for us this morning? May the Lord drive apathy and indifference, what Jesus is referring to, this kind of self-deception and whatever, far from us in this church. So if we turn from our sin, trust in Jesus as our Savior, if we refuse to make a truce with our sin and strive by grace through faith in Jesus to enter through the narrow door, then one day we will come and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. I love Isaiah 25. If you want to turn there, great. If you want to just listen and just kind of chew on it and drink it in, great. Um, we're basically done with this. But this is, this is the table that Jesus is referring to here that we will recline at. Those who come in and enter through the narrow door. Isaiah 25, 6, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples, from east and west and north and south, right? On this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, He will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples. Even the veil which is stretched over all nations. What's that? death. It's all that's come in as a result of the fall and sin. All that's wrong with the world. He's going to swallow up death for all time. He's going to feed us this lavish banquet. He's going to be the host and he's going to say, I'm going to eat up everything that's horrible, that's been killing you. And I'm going to feed you at my table. Such a sweet promise. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we've waited. Sometimes waiting is a striving because it's so hard to wait as we groan inwardly, fighting our own sinful desires and brokenness and dealing with all the brokenness that's around us in this world. We've waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we've waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. The Lord stands up, closes the door, and the party begins. So Jesus came and died the first time to make this possible, to welcome us to the feast. And so how dare we say, like we're going to encounter very soon in chapter 14, oh, oh, invitation to the table. Ah, I just bought some property. You know, I just got married. I just got some oxen. The old equivalent of the worries and cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. 
if that's what we're all about here, then we're not striving to enter the narrow door, and we will be left outside. So gracious of God to give these sober warnings to us now so that we can take stock, look at Jesus, and run to Him, strive to enter that narrow door by His grace, in faith, in Christ. It is not of ourselves. There's nothing we can boast of. It's only His grace. And even this warning is His grace. And so let's hear. I hope we have ears to hear this morning. And let's respond. Not with apathy and difference, but with wholehearted attentiveness and a desire to strive to enter that narrow door. There's something much greater than a bar of gold offered here. Something a lot better than any, anything a broken cistern can hold. I hope that we all want to just drop whatever is weighing us down, holding us back, so that we can strive to enter through the narrow door. Just as a closing prayer, just listen to the way it all ends. Okay, can you even imagine what's on the other side of that door? Listen to Revelation 22, and we will close with the benediction, the, the grace there at the end of Revelation and be dismissed. Behold, Jesus says, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. And may our heart response be, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.